In our first episode, John Sintrest said that Uber Eats had been the biggest and most recently recognized Australian creator export with Tonight I'll Be Eating from Creative Agency Special Group, featuring stars such as Rebel Wilson, Jimmy Barnes, Kim Kardashian, Boy George and Lee Lin Chin. Tonight, I'll be eating pork fajitas with extra jalapenos. Hey Kim, what are you going to have? Tonight, I'll be eating spag bowl and cheesy garlic bread. Ooh, ta. Thank you. Hey, Kim, you're an entrepreneur. One word pitch. Netball evening wear. Yeah, nah. A lot of money in netball, I reckon. What even is netball? But translating creative to sporting environments or partnerships can be harder than the game itself. In 2020, Special Goot created Uber Eats Australian Open Ambush, showcasing several ads featuring tennis players like Serena Williams, Rafa Nadal and Nick Kyrgios. The ads were filmed to look like the players were in mid-match action at the AO and they ran on TV during those players' actual matches. We're back in Melbourne and there's Serena. The focus, the attitude, she is all in tonight. Tonight I'll be eating spaghetti marinara with extra capers. Yeah. Don't want to ruin the outfit. In this episode, we spoke to Tom Martin and Julian Shriver, the CCOs at Creative Agency Special Group, about their Uber Eats campaign, which helped their agency win Campaign Brief Agency of the Year and Spikes Asia Independent Agency of the Year. We also had a chance to talk to them about their most recent Super Bowl moment with bringing back Wayne and Garth with Wayne's World for their Uber Eats campaign during the latest Super Bowl. Firstly, thank you very much for doing this podcast and, and welcome to the Advertising Awards Almanac. This is a podcast to celebrate and uncover the stories behind advertising's work that was awarded either last year or archived throughout the years. But thinking about it, I had originally set up this podcast to interview Tom Martin and Julian Schreiber, the CCOs at Creative Agency Special Group, about Uber Eats. But since booking, uh, booking this in, you've won Campaign Brief Agency of the Year and Spikes Agency Independent Agency of the Year. And it would be amiss to firstly congratulate you both on those wins. So, ah. <laughs> I heard, though, that Cade, one of your founding partners, was told that an indie couldn't win these types of big awards like Campaign Brief Agency of the Year. Does this feel like it's a, you know, hard work earned now? It's interesting that quote is not uh, how do I put it when we were discussing it with the person involved they said that it's really hard for an agency of our scale to win an award like this because because generally sorry I was getting a bit closer generally speaking it's perceived that an agency of our scale doesn't put out enough work mm. to justify that kind of award but the truth is we're we put out truckloads for our size it's just one of those things we move fast and we get a lot out I think also this year it was we weren't against all all the individual offices, they all combined this year. Melbourne and Sydney offices all combined. So I think this year was a particularly hard year to win because it was against Melbourne and Clem Sydney combined, DDB Sydney combined. So I think this year we're particularly proud that we won it this year because I think that's, that's we're a small agency compared to those guys. Yeah, and also I think it's pretty amazing that we didn't just win in Australia, but we also won it in New Zealand at the same time. Um, everyone's virtually hugging each other over Zooms right now. I heard, on a, I heard on a podcast you both did last year that you said the agency has almost become your creative project. So receiving these type of awards, does it feel like, you know, the biggest recognition of your careers because your creative is being realised and awarded? 
It's definitely a really, really big one for us because that, that is exactly true. We do um, talk about the agency as a, as a creative project. One of the reasons we've decided to get involved um, in becoming partners in an independent agency is you realise as you're working as a creative, you start working on the creative of other people's projects and after a while you realise you actually want to shape the one you're in every day and that's why we are where we are now. Quoting Cade again, he, he said that if you treated your own business with the focus that you give your clients, that you'd create an environment that gives everyone the opportunity to create the best work of their careers. And is that how you'd summarise the Uber Eats work that you have uh, have gone through and, and have out in market at the moment? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're particularly proud of it. We've got an amazing client who we have an amazing relationship with and the collaboration we have with Uber Eats is unlike anything we've ever worked on, and I do think it's it's one of those it's one of those rare moments where I think it's a massive team effort. Everything we do, and you look at the Australian Open stuff, and that's an amazing collaboration. That's Channel Nine, Tennis Australia, Mediacom, us. That's a lot of people together all trying to make one thing happen. And I, I, I think that's probably a rarity with Special Group, is I do think this is a place that's really willing to collaborate and willing to all get in together and make things work. And I do think that's why we make work like the Australian Open Work or Good Morning World because they are massive jobs that take a lot of people to make. I think it's really interesting when you talk about collaboration because it's such a watchword of the industry. But I think what it means to us, well, it means two things. One, I think it means getting the, having the right people in the room. And I think one of the things that's amazing about our relationship with our client is she is very has always been very quick to bring the right people into the room. So we'd be at us be it a PR partner, a media person, whoever it is, the right people get in the room to make the decisions to actually make something happen. And then I think the other part of that is just the ability to not hold on to any particular structure and just essentially change yourself to be whatever you need to be to make something happen. Yeah, it's interesting. Like with Australian Open, the work we did on Australian Open Year 1 and Year 2, we I walked into the briefing Year 1 and when we actually got briefed, the client, Georgie, in the room, she already had Channel 9, Tennis Australia, Media Common Us already in a room. And, of course, Georgie and Eber in the room. She already had us all in the room getting briefed together because in her mind she wanted an idea that used all those ingredients. So it's almost like she created the environment to make that work before we even got briefed. So you, as you mentioned, you created Uber East Australian Open Ambush, which showcased several ads featuring tennis players like Serena Williams, Rafa Nadal, Nick Kyrgios. And these ads were filmed to look like the players were in mid-match action at the AO and they ran on TV during the players' actual matches. And honestly, in my mind, you served up an amazing creative that actually made me sit up on the sofa when I first saw it live. It picked up many accolades, including the Grand Slammer trophies with gold pencils with creative use of media live broadcast and other use of tv and other screens but firstly congratulations on the work and both my wife have worked in sport sponsorships and tv businesses and we were both caught out with the spot uh, i saw it and during the break of the curios match you know there was a calling for a break in a physio my reaction was oh god not again uh, and now it's gone to a break and once i saw it my wife commented that was almost impossible to do when she was at channel seven so it, it just felt you know was that the intention and the reaction that you wanted from viewers catching them off guard during i guess relentless ad breaks absolutely that's exactly the reaction we were hoping for and i think we talk about uh, something which we call, which is um, glass and clay, which is where we basically break an idea down into the must-have executional thing that will make the idea versus the stuff that's flexible, which is the clay. The glass of that idea for us was 100% had to look so much like the real tennis that you would be caught off guard. And that meant that we actually used everyone from the actual Oz Open filming team who actually filmed the tennis 
to make it happen. We've brought on a production company called The Glue Society who are amazing at actually forming the right production shape to actually make that happen. But every decision we made was about making sure that it looked 100% authentic in every way, down to the discussions about whether or not the players were wearing the correct uniform on the night that would match what they're doing in their playing. It sounds like a logistical nightmare to get to that, right? Yeah, it probably, it, yeah, it probably was. But I do think the fact that everyone was in the room from the start, it meant we all started on the journey together. So it wasn't like, it wasn't this bat and pass where the agency did something and it went to the next person. Everyone knew the idea from the start and the intent of the idea and what had to happen and everyone just moved together. And I think that's what made it possible, even down to making sure we only bought the last ad in every ad break. So it was when you thought you were coming back to the tennis. But even And even the um, Tennis Australia, they gave us all the graphics for this trainer. So we actually had the real graphics. All those things were just part of what we knew had to be the idea, even showing all the logos. Like that's an amazing, brave move, doing an ad where the biggest logo in the ad is ANZ. Like the, all those decisions, yeah. There, and a lot of them do come down to, Georgia, our client being very, very brave. And we did have, we've had actually weirdly lots of conversations after the fact, not before it, that the branding of that commercial happens right at the end. All the branding of before it is ANZ, Kia, all those sort of things, but right at the end, it's very clearly an Uber Eats ad and no one has ever questioned whether or not they understood who that ad was for or, or you know, the impact it's made. So what was the original task from the client then? Was uh, You said that she brought everyone in the room. She wanted, she obviously had the property of the AO, but then was it just she was completely open to ideas or, or you know, how did you approach it? Uh, it was a classic sponsorship brief, as in she came in, she said, look, I, I'm going to go sponsor the AO, but I only want to do it if I think if it's worth it, if we actually make an impact. And I think Georgie already always had in her mind the idea that it would be like a Super Bowl moment if we get it right. What's... <laughs> interesting about that is it's a 14-day event as opposed to one-off. So, you know, coming up with an idea that actually can extend and excite for 14 days is a, is a different challenge. But I think that what was good about that is the idea that we came up with allowed for, for the possibility of constantly upping the game, re-exciting, catching people off guard over a long period of time and actually use the fact that it went over 14 days. Yeah, I think that's pretty rare. Like you watch your strain open and people don't really, it's almost like a lot of brands don't think about the fact it's 14 days because you watch the one ad hundreds and hundreds of times to the point of, it actually like it wears you down where we went in knowing that it was a 14-day thing and we wanted to make sure we had a few different ads every night of the 14 days. I think that was a thing that made it stand out because, yes, as you say, traditionally sponsors would just be the, that repetitive piece and you end up just fitting in like all the other sponsors. Like, oh, here's that ad again. Whereas yeah. it felt like people were looking forward to who you were going to get next. Yeah, and definitely. And we changed during that. Like during production we were like, like even while we were shooting, we were talking to Tennis Australia and they were saying, oh, you could actually shoot blah, blah tonight if you want. And we're like, cool, done. And then they'd come down that evening, we'd shoot another three ads with them. We looked at who, we looked at the tournament and who was doing well during the tournament and who we thought would become a star or, or you know, the person people were talking about during the, during the tournament. Then we'd start negotiating with them to make sure we could shoot with them before the end of the tournament. It was really interesting because became a crowd, for, in year one, became a crowd favourite, which we never really intended to use him. But by the end of it, we realised actually we should do an ad with him even though he, whether he gets in or out. So we actually shot a version which sort of anticipated that he was going to win or lose and then we actually used that right at the end of the tournament. So it was actually became as though the campaign was interacting with the tournament itself 
which is really interesting. Yeah, I think I was at one of the games with Channel 9 and Lizzie was saying to me, oh, I think we're filming with the Greek superstar and, and, and it was happening, I guess, to be shot that 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 night and, and to be played, I guess, the next day. So it must have been yeah. a logistical nightmare to go, we've got to set up again, same shots, same, you know, kind of feel. It must have been tough to be doing that during the day and then getting it edited and getting it out, right? Definitely. <laughs> you keep on saying the words logistical nightmare. It was definitely a logistical nightmare. I think I think the difference, another thing we learned from that is we shoot it, we, we shot it with four cameras as well. So it wasn't about like where you shoot a classic ad and you do take after take and you, you do reset up after reset up. We shot every one of those ads with all the cam- with four cameras. So it was really just about cutting between the cameras in the edit, which is actually how tennis works, obviously. But it's not how people usually shoot ads and that allowed us to shoot we probably shot two to three ads in an hour with every talent because you could because you were just shooting it all at once and you just then you just cut it together. And we had all the graphics in place. We had wide shots in place. So we could turn them around really, really fast. And a lot of, that's, is that a, a lot of that was with glue because there's an enormous amount of pressure on them to get it out really fast. But I think also because it was mimicking tennis. It wasn't about not like big onlines and fancy grades and all that. It was just about, okay, look like the tennis. In some sense, it was sort of doing a very similar production schedule as the tennis itself. Yeah just applying the graphics at the right time, getting the crowd shots, choosing the angles, all that sort of thing. And talking about the talent, you had some great gets with Serena and Nadal. Did you start out with a wish list and work your way through the seeds? Did you just go, what's the ATP rankings? Let's just pick everyone off. Do you know what's interesting? It's weirdly a, less a conversation about fame, more about a conversation about who you think is going to do the well for the longest in the tournament so you can keep on using their ad. Were you upset that Kyrgios went out first round then? A little bit, but we also we also made a rule in our in our heads that what we would try to do is we would release the ad the first time within their do the reveal the first time within their matches, but then after that, once it's been revealed, you have a bit of flexibility about where you run it. So we sort of pinned our hopes on that if we got like a Nadal, Nadal would do really well throughout, and that would sort of be more and more a surprise. But we were literally crossing our fingers every night, going, "Oh, please stay in, please stay in." And Serena was that as well. And how did you pitch it to them? Because I'd imagine. How do you talk to the players or the players' agents to say this? We're coming into tennis. This is new. We want to do something different. Yes, you would see Nadal doing a Kia ad, for example, but that would have been filmed months in advance. Yeah, and he would be there. Whereas we're saying we want you in Melbourne. We want to film you there. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to ask you what you'd like to eat and, and do all this. How, how how was the pitch to them? Did um, they get it? I think it's interesting because some people like like Federer. He they were like, oh, you would love to get involved, but you need to tell us in July. And we actually, we pitched this probably six weeks out from the AO. So we literally, this was a sprint. This was like, so there was not, there wasn't that time to go through classic negotiations and everything. I, I do think it was, all that was quicker probably because we weren't asking for them to be a brand spokesperson or anything. They were, it was two weeks. That's all it ran for. There was a lot of people in the AO. And also I think, I think with Uber Eats, we'd, we'd had momentum using a lot of different celebrities. So people, I think people had seen the ads. I'd seen that it was, it had had everyone from Hamish Nandy, Ray Martin, Lillian Chin, all these different people in them. So it had, it had a history where people felt could they sort of wanted to be involved because I think they there's a, there's not a it doesn't feel like a classic sort of brand endorsement being in an Uber Eats ad it just you're just saying what you're having for dinner so I do think it it does put us in a position where a lot more people want to be involved because they don't feel like they're giving up their brand to be a part of our brand they they just feel like they're part of this ensemble that have done an Uber Eats ad I think we're also acutely aware of asking them to stay within their comfort zone like we didn't get. Nadal to do anything that was too outside of what he does in the tennis world. It was probably the more challenging ones was when we got Serena to do slow-mo. A slow-mo, exactly, slow-mo, where, where she had to 
run across the room and as she was running across the room actually turn the camera and say tonight I'll be eating and we had to do that a couple of different takes but but the truth is we're talking about having someone for two hours and getting as much as out of them as they're willing to do in that two hours and then leave. She got to write pretty fast though. Yeah, she was remarkable. Two hours seems a lot. I know that people have filmed with the likes of Nadal in the past and you get you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes or two hours. Oh, I think I think we had him for an hour. We probably got all them for about an hour. But we do, we in that hour we do, we would do three three films and stills and like we'd get, we'd capture and, and behind the scenes and social and it's a lot. We're pretty much a funnel machine when it comes to Uber Eats ads and how to get an enormous amount of content in a short period of time. And you, you talked about there that when pitching to the talent, you already had your creative historical work with Lee yeah. and Chin and Rebel Wilson and all that. Sometimes though, that can be quite hard to translate into a sporting environment, I suppose, because you've got such a creative, strong, a strong creative in, in a traditional sense. And then you're putting it into sponsors that can hold, it can be a failure for, for some sponsorships. Did it just, did it feel very natural or were there things that you had to consider going into this? I think honestly, we moved so quickly. We just went headfirst into it. I do think the strength of the, the platform of Tonight I'll Be Eating is it has a very simple executional mechanism, which is someone's doing something and then we break it by them turning to camera and suddenly saying, tonight I'll be eating. And that gives us enormous flexibility. And I think from the very beginning, we always had the intention that we would do media hacks. And this was sort of almost the first example of actually making that come to life. So if anything, it was proof of the original, original concept of when we even talked about doing type. So going into this year, uh, and you had, I guess, new challenges, new, know, know that you had to get better creative for this year, but obviously the complications with the AO, with obviously COVID and, and so on. But you build off that success working with Sasha Baron Cohen as the rogue umpire with Ash Barty and Nick Kyrgios. And this was probably more in-your-face approach to the viewers uh, who could snap codes and order food. Was it important to move away from the first year of fitting in to stand out? I think we were looking for a new way to disrupt. I think that's the power of the first two years was that we were disrupting the tennis again. This time we wanted to figure out a way to own the tennis in a new way. This way was more an intent to create like almost like a second screen behaviour that you would be watching the tennis, but at the same time we would have you on the phone constantly staring at the Uber Eats app and the Uber Eats social channels to try and see when a code's going to arrive. And, and suddenly Uber Eats is interacting with every match because every time there's a, a love moment, it's an Uber Eats moment. And that was what we tried to create this time. Sacha Baron Cohen bringing that to life was almost like a giant cherry on top because the idea of the rogue umpire, not only was it something new for him to do to create that character, but it brought a lot of PR attention to the activation itself, which was really powerful. And how did COVID impact filming? Because I'd imagine that access to talent was almost impossible, hence probably why you used Ash Barty and Nick Kyrgios because they were more available here. Was was that something that really hindered production? Not not really because we did I think the difference this year was is it was all about Sasha rather than about the tennis the tennis players this year so we knew we could get him because he actually lives here so it was actually much more about him being the star and not and Ash and um, Nick Kyrgios were amazing but it was much more about Sasha this year and they were they were sort of like bonuses a bit we did shoot it we did shoot differently this year though like in the previous two years we've actually shot on the main court at Rod Laver this year we shot at Kuyong. And actually, it's funny because we were there shooting going, oh, God, we should have shot here in the past because it actually, it was, there was well, there was not restrictions. Usually when we shoot at Rod Laver, you're in and you've got an hour, then you've got to get out because you can't interfere with people's training programs. So a lot of players train on, on Rod Laver and Margaret Court purely because that's where they're going to play. So when we shoot there in the past, we're constantly in and out trying to get a work around people's training schedules where Kuyong were like, oh, God, we can actually shoot like a normal ad. It was quite luxurious this year. If anything, I think the pandemic 
was very opportunistic. I don't think we would have had Sacha Baron Cohen if there wasn't a pandemic. Well, no, he wouldn't live here. But yeah. yeah. So we just took advantage of what was around us, which is great. Amazing. The most important question, I suppose, that I really want to ask you about tonight I'll be eating is to ask you, if you were ordering Uber Eats tonight, what would you be ordering? It's interesting because I've already had this conversation. <laughs> I got out of a conversation with my wife this evening. She said she wants a, a pad to you. Was the, uh, she said this morning, she said, I have a desire, a desire for pad to you tonight. And I went, great. Um, it's funny because we... When you asked, I was gonna, in my head, I'm saying tonight I'll be eating. And it's funny when, when we said, when the biggest, one of the biggest challenges is how people say tonight I'll be eating. It's the thing, every time we shoot one of these ads, you've got to go back through it with a new talent. And because we, we're doing shooting a lot of ads in the States at the moment as well. It's always, you've got to say tonight, like you're announcing something, then you've got to have a massive pause. And it's like, oh, like, it's like this massive ordeal about teaching new people every time how to say tonight I'll be eating. My wife and I are pretty uh, routine. Tonight we always we always get Friday night takeaway at Chocho Sand at Potts Point. It's sort of a, it's a bit of a routine of ours. I'm a very routine person. <laughs> <laughs> bit of an old man. <laughs> Just, uh, I thought whilst I have you in the room and you spoke about this brief being a Super Bowl moment, you, you both have had your Super Bowl moment recently with Ray, Wayne's World. So first of all, as a massive fan of that, film thank you for bringing them both back together it was amazing to watch and i was excited to see i, I watched all the the pre-releases and, and the full thing so you're going to share a little bit about how that came about and, and just your thoughts around you know that super bowl moment for the two of you i think it's one of those moments that just came and slapped us in the face which and said we want to do a super bowl moment and it was very similarity to the australian open it happened super quickly. We started working on it in November. Yeah, I'm sure most people had already shot their Super Bowl ad by then. It were well into, well on their way into production. Yeah, so we we basically just grabbed grabbed it with both hands. We, in the similar style, Georgie brought everyone into the room together, and we worked out actually what is the relevance of Uber Eats in that moment at this time, particularly during a pandemic. We realised actually the opportunity there was to support local restaurants, like a really tough time for restaurants right now, and then we realised that Wayne's World being the embodiment of local access television could be a great symbol of, of that movement. Yeah, it's, it's usually a lot, it's often quite hard to get with the talent and often we all have one talent and the other swap out, swap out, swap out. It's almost like a slot machine in a way where eventually they, they settle and you get you end up with a, the different two people every time because it is, it is quite a challenge negotiating but we're really it was really interesting this time because um, Mike Myers' wife had owned restaurants so, so when he heard uh, the idea... It actually meant a lot to him and it was a cause he really believed in. So getting them on board was actually quite quick and then there was a very long period of writing writing the ads with Mike and Dana. So they, they were heavily involved in it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard from other podcasts, both with them being interviewed individually, is that they've not worked together for a lot since then. So it was interesting that you brought them back together to work together, which it seemed like a big moment as well. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we even knew they had had it falling out, but I think that that has passed a long time ago. But one of the great things about being in, in this role is that even though you're here in Australia, um, you're on a, on a Q-take and, and on, on Zoom with them and actually in, watching them actually perform, but also you'll be in like a recording session like this one where they're doing the radio component and they're just talking about their lives. And it's actually just fascinating to, to you know, get a glimpse of what they're like and they clearly become, you know, back to amazing friends. But I think that... It was an unusually smooth process from, from, as Tom said, about getting them on board and all those sort of things because everyone was completely aligned with the theme and, and the cause. I think what was really interesting about it was that we didn't realise the momentum of like how much Wayne's World 
energy was out there waiting to be tapped into and it really took on a life of its own from the minute it was a teaser all the way to when it when it became a Super Bowl moment. But also what's interesting about that is we did a, a two-and-a-half-hour-long film as part of the project, which was where Wayne and Garth thanked all the restaurants on Uber Eats. And that also has taken on a bit of a life of its own amongst by the restaurants and the fans because that has two hours of moments where, like, Alice Cooper comes and actually hangs out with them, Cardi B comes back and all these, you know, Easter eggs. And, and that was because... When you do an ad about, or you know, eat local, and you want to do it, it's and it is quite a an earnest ad. We wanted to make sure that actually that it wasn't just a, you weren't just putting it out there and not doing anything about it. Like they did, they invested a lot of money in a in the cause, and also they wanted to make sure there was a film asset out there that actually did something meaningful. Like you could tell everyone to eat local, but they wanted to do something that actually was for the ninety thousand restaurants on the platform. So that's that's why we did the, the two and a half hour ad, and that was really logistically hard too because you had to work out we didn't have them for that long like we had them for a lot of time to shoot the ad but we pretty much shot a two and a half hour ad in one hour which logistically is quite a challenge and it was all about working out what the moment is when they walk in what moment you loop it and when they walk out so you can create you can create cuts between shots but also you know where the loop moment is you can extend it for one minute or 10 minutes or 15 minutes or depending on how engaging it is so it was yeah it was quite a challenge as well like and but We've worked with the same production guys and Gush Melbourne, who's the director, and we've worked with a lot of those guys in quite a few ads now. So we've got a pretty amazing team. And Matt and Dave, who are the creatives in the States, are phenomenal. It sounds like there's a theme here around that you love a challenge and you, you kind of get through it to, to create amazing work. Uh, yeah. Definitely. I think, we're, I think we're sad in this respect. I think we really, really like the high of actually being involved in the mess and actually, you know, doing the crazy. And it's almost a bit of a letdown afterwards as opposed to it being in the thick of it. So I think that we always, you know, someone presents us with some some sort of amazing opportunity despite the fact that it might be a bit sort of, you know, time poor and a bit crazy. I think we all run at it. And I think that we actually have found an enormous group of people around us who are actually like-minded in that respect. So we just take these things on and, you know, create the best we can. Yeah, I think a lot of people would run away from these things. But if Jules and I have worked together now for 15 years... And pretty much all our jobs, all, the, all, the, all our really big jobs or jobs we really love have all been really difficult. And they're the sort of ideas that when you first have, you have no idea how to do it. But they're, they're the best jobs. You just, or you, and I think that's why we're, we, we, how we collaborate is really important because it's what we did even in the early days when we worked together. We'd, we'd come up with projects and we'd just have to work out who the team was and just create a really tight team to make them happen. Because the, all the jobs we've done in the past have been challenging. That, and like really challenging. Yeah, and you don't want to. You don't only want to do what you're capable of. You want to be able to tap into everyone. Yeah, and you want to stretch yourselves, right? Exactly. So lastly, just to finish off, you both announced recently that you were judges at the New York Festivals this year. Can you give us some thoughts on what you look for as judges, and if there's any considerations or things you always look for when when judging work? I think we. Well, I personally always look for clarity. As in, like, I want to know what they're trying to do. I want. I, I don't want to have to like wade through an idea and figure out what the hell that was about. And then once it's clear, then I start going, start going into like, does it create envy? Do I sit there and go, God, I wish I'd made that, or that's a brilliant solution to that problem? That's sort of what I look for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I think we've always been about solving problems. So we really look. A lot of the way we judge things is how, what is a problem it's solving and does it do it well and does it do it originally. 
definitely. Great tips for people entering this year. So um, obviously they'll be hopefully judged well with what you're looking for. So again, thank you very much for doing this and congratulations on all the accolades and the Ubreeds work and the work this year. And and I guess there'll be more and many more awards to come. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you.